This week on Tech Radio is Ireland breaking the law. Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 976. This week, looking at the reality of remote working in 2023 with Sinead Pillion from a new ICT group in the Midlands. Also, we're asking, is the government itself breaking GDPR rules? And we hear how Canada is unwittingly becoming the world's greatest tech petri dish. Let's get into it. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Our Tech Essential Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, joining us as always. So GDPR, when, when is it that the government is breaking the rules and then not breaking the rules? Firstly, tell me the information that they're accessing. Okay, well, the short version is they plan to break everything to do with GDPR, but for a very short period of time. Okay, um, go on. Okay. Here's here's the the details. You remember the um, case of Graham Dwyer, uh, who appealed his murder conviction earlier this year. He yes. argued that uh, his case, the case against him, was largely based on mobile phone data, um, mm. which the collection of which he said was gen- general and indiscriminate, and you can't be doing that mm-hmm. uh, under GDPR. Uh, mm-hmm. That it was a, a breach, and uh, of course. The principles of GDPR are uh, you basically have control over your data and you have the right to know when it is being gathered about you and when it is being used against you, um, especially for the purposes of, say, an investigation. Um, the argument went that, OK, but this, this you know, data was gathered, you know, without any kind of oversight or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, Uh, it ended up breaching European law, European Union law. Now, uh, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, in verse commas, for him, the court agreed uh, with his argument, but the uh, sentence was not um, successfully appealed or affected by that. The new measure coming in by uh, Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, does not apply retrospectively. But basically what it does is it's an amendment to communications retention of data act of 2011. And it basically requires telecoms companies, ISPs, service providers to hang on to watch all their data for, uh, for a year, mm-hmm. uh, for the purposes of ongoing security, uh, for the country. So if there's a matter of, you know, a criminal investigation or a matter of national security, you can hold on to whatever you want. You can gather whatever you want, uh, but we have to get rid of it after a year. Um, Now, the current GDPR rules state that you've got, what, seven years to uh, hang on to something before it has to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. This is the problem that we had in America with um, uh, PRISM and Snowden, where we found absolutely massive systemic amounts of data being gathered against sort of the wishes and knowledge of individuals. Mm. Um, And, you know, it was, uh, uh, as we know, the massive scandal that it turned out to be. Now, Dusty, Mm. uh, I am on distinctly one side of the fence on the pro-consumer side saying, you cannot do this. Um, Europe will agree that you cannot do this. So I don't even know if this will pass uh, and enter into law. Um, I can see where the argument comes from, but unfortunately, um, if you generate it, you kind of own it. 
uh, and you know, if it's going to be used against you, you should know. Um, I don't know. What's your take on it? I just, I, I totally agree with you. You know, kind of uh, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Uh, yeah. I think the protection of the consumer and the protection of the citizen uh, is, I mean, that's what government is there for. All right. It's hmm. not there to monitor and it's not there to, you know, to, to use all of this data. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't like, I'm very Orwellian in that I don't like supermarket cards. Because quite mm-hmm. simply, they attach your name, email, phone number, and address to everything that you buy in a supermarket every week. Mm. Um, yeah. you know, kind of the same thing with having Google on all the time, um, with, with the map tracking. It knows everywhere you've been every minute of every hour of every day. I don't mm. like it. You know, look, do you know what? There's nothing I can do about it. So I just go with it. But. You know, then maybe well, it just it it harps back. Now you're getting into a counselling session, and I'm laying on the couch. <laughs> it harps back to the time where I never wanted my mother to know where I was or what I was doing at all times. And it mm-hmm. seems seems like the state is able to do that now. Well, there's also the additional problem of services like WhatsApp and uh, iMessage that pride themselves, oh, uh, yeah. Signal as well, on yeah. end-to-end encryption. Yeah. That these are safe uh, safe services. And if you wanted to talk about, you know, maybe something that the government doesn't doesn't want you to know about, mm. uh, well, fine, that's what they're there for. So you can have a safe space. I the argument against these measures always seems to be, you know, the the argument oh, sort if, of if for you're not them. Doing anything illegal, well, then what have you got to hide? Yeah, but there's mm. there's an adi- an additional tier in this um, sort of measure. It's not law yet. It hasn't passed through either houses of the Oireachtas. Mm. Um, but the, the justification in part seems to be, yeah, but we're the good guys. You know, we're the good guys. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, speaking of people who are the good guys, you've got the Data Protection Commission, all right? Uh, <laughs> and they, they, they investigate people. Yeah, I hear you laughing. Uh, they investigate people for GDPR breaches and they're the good guys. Most of the time. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> if they were, if, well, except when Europe are slapping them for not uh, not issuing fines that were appropriate to the mm. uh, to the breaches, mm. uh, and also for being messed about by big tech for years on end, meaning it can take an interminable amount of time to actually resolve a case. Uh, now, you know, apparently their uh, resources are being increased, that they will be able to do more. But there are plenty of cases out there um, that, you know, there's a there's a big line waiting to be uh, to be, how would you say, processed. Mm. Now, there is a new measure coming in that I really don't like and you are not going to like either. Uh, And this is basically they do not have to disclose who they are investigating. And is that a case of they don't have to disclose it ever? They only have to disclose it when questioned by certain people or they just can sit back and go? Because I understand why they are not going to tell you who they're investigating because it may actually affect the investigation itself is the only reason I can think of that they would do that. Outside of that, if they're investigating somebody who's being fully aware that they're being investigated, well, then they should tell you who they're investigating. Yeah, but then there's also investigations that kick off on the back of somebody making a complaint against a specific organisation. If you were to take the example of Max Rems and Facebook, uh, 
entire case wouldn't have wouldn't have kicked off at all yeah. were it not for the fact that he asked to see all the data that he had and basically shamed the um commissioner into doing something uh, about it now maybe the, you know it might be a little bit unfair in saying that but mm. that said i mean europe is not impressed with the slow progress that the data protection commission makes uh, on these kind of cases so i think this is a really kind of fetchy um, measure to make sure they don't come under that same level of scrutiny again. That uh, an investigation against Facebook will have as much sort of space in the public consciousness as a investigation into your local hairdresser or mm. your local uh, supermarket or someone like that who did something you know similar uh, with your card you know, who, who might have suffered a data breach uh, through, you know, clicking the wrong button, as opposed to yeah. having a systemic uh, approach to data that is at odds with uh, what we have in Ireland and GDPR. Listen, that's a, that's, that's a whole massive issue. We could sit here not just for an entire episode, for an entire week discussing the ins and outs of that. Uh, on the plus side of, uh, you know, the EU or the authorities, if you want, um, checking on big data companies, we did kind of have a good story this week in that the Digital Services Act, uh, which I think, believe is coming into force very, very soon. In the EU, it kind of puts the onus on middlemen is, is how I'm going to so you know, kind of the main platforms like, you know, Facebook and Meta and uh, Twitter mm. and stuff like that to present, protect uh, consumers from fraud. We had that story last week uh, about misinformation and spreading of hatred and stuff like that. It puts the onus on these platforms in order to, you know, kind of kill it at source, as it were, to protect the consumer. And they paid a, a little visit to Twitter. Interesting. Yes, Twitter that, you know... Uh Famously I don't, I don't, went, no, we're not going to go ahead with any of this. It's all rubbish. We don't care. Famously fired everybody. Yeah. Um, and is now playing catch up thanks to their new uh, CEO hmm. who is trying to, you know, put out fires every which way. And I think this is an interesting tactic for reintroducing Twitter to the EU by mm-hmm. saying, okay, we respect that you have the Digital Services Act coming in and that you are effectively treating us as publishers um, as opposed to, you know, simple platforms. And we understand that, you know, there are certain responsibilities that come with that. And you know what? Yeah, we're going we're going to uh, to comply with that. We don't really, you know, want our brand name mm. sullied. You know, we want to be seen as being as good as Google and Facebook. So, yeah, OK, we'll we'll sign up to this. But also bear in mind that if you're in controversia, in contravention of the Digital Service Act, you can forget about, you know, happy GDPR, which charged up to, what, 4% of your global turnover. Yeah. Uh, contravening the Digital Services Act will cost you 6% of your global turnover. Which uh, after Elon Musk has uh, finished with Twitter will be worth about ten euro fifty. Yeah, <laughs> I mean this whole thing of free speech absolutism. It's very easy to say that until one, it costs you money, uh, and two, everybody realizes that the person who's preaching it will never face adverse consequences oh of his God. actions. And you're raising another massive issue that we could talk about for weeks on end. So let's move on to our final story of the week this week, and that is Canada. Uh, a quiet little, you know, lovely Canada 
eh? Lovely uh, place, nice to everybody. They're turning into the world's tech test bed uh, for two two stories this week, uh, which I'll tell you about. One is uh, Facebook and Instagram. You know they're having this whole argument about mm-hmm. news that is carried on the services uh, uh, with Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they're being charged for that by the people who... I suppose, are writing the news and generating the news and investigating the news and stuff of the news publishers. Um, So they have decided to pull news from their services in Canada as a little test. As a little test. uh, As a little test uh, to see how it goes. And then uh, Netflix has also pulled its basic tier in Canada. So that okay. you're not, you, you either, you know, just the kind of the, the, the lowest tier that was possible, it's gone. You either now go for the lower of low, which is the one that is advertising supported, or you go for the full HD package, which is, about, I don't know, whatever, 20 quid a month or something like that. So good for customer choice. Yeah. The, well, um, no, it's not. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Um, so here's, here's what I want to know, yes. uh, because w- Facebook had that argument in Australia mm. um, where uh, the Australian media uh, said, son, you're, yeah. you're making money off our content. Yeah. Um, where's, where's the kickback here? Where's the vig? Mm-hmm. And uh, there was eventually uh, a an agreement reached reach with the regulator. So it's kind of the same argument being had in Canada. Um, what you know? What? Who's looking for what here? Is this Facebook trying unilaterally to say, well, what happens if we pull news? I think they're not, they're being told, all of these uh, platforms are being told that if you carry links to news sources, you must pay for those links to the news sources, to the people who created the news. And they're going, nah, forget it, we'll just pull it. So that's what they're doing, right? And it's only in territories where they've been forced to do that. I'm not sure if they've been forced to do it in Canada, but they certainly use, Canada is, you know, to all intents and purposes, it's a terrific test bed. And I hate to say it, but Ireland is a terrific test bed for the UK market. You know what I mean? We're only four million people compared to 60 million over there. Canada would be similar with the uh, the states. New Zealand will be similar with uh, Australia. It's that kind of a situation. Um, and uh, I think the problem is that when Facebook or Instagram or Google or any of those services link to the news source, the problem is, is that they will just show you the entire news source. People will just get what it is that they need to know and then they don't actually visit the generator of the news and the generator of the news is not getting any uh, benefit from that because they're not getting anything from advertising from an extra visit. They're not getting any uh, subscription from that particular person. So essentially they're making the news for free. So like I kind of completely get that. Anyway, that said, all of this pales into utter complete irrelevance when you think about AI because AI is going to change everything in that you're not going to ever need to visit a website anymore because AI will just give you the answer in its own way. Hmm. What's happening in the war in Russia today? And then it'll say, blah, 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 blah. There you go. Assuming you're Hmm. working with a quality source. Well, (laughs) no, you're a great man this week for opening up cans of worms. <laughs> so let me just put the lid on it right now and say they are the main stories that we are thinking about. Oh, uh, can I, can oh, go I on, go give on, on. There's more. one more thing? A on. very quick honourable mention to yes. face, Facebook once again trying to make the metaverse happen uh, by releasing uh, a subscription game service for eight ninety nine per month. 
in yes. euros and 69.99 a year again euros we are being yeah. screwed on this ever so slightly yeah. uh, you will be able to subscribe to uh, mash plus which is their game service um good luck for anyone who does Yes. Uh, and actually, if you want to giggle, I would say go to the, uh, uh, what is the Quest, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, website. Yeah. Just uh, look up uh, MetaQuest Games or whatever and go to the website and just have a look at the front page because I think the photos that they show there are the exact opposite of having a good time. I think you just look like a, a Richard. A Richard. Okay. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> Niall Kitson, thank you for giving us the news this week. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. It appears to us that Dublin, Cork and Galway were among the main tech hubs in Ireland. But now, thanks to remote working, there is plenty of life elsewhere in the country. During the week, Niall had a great chat with Sinead Pillion, who is head of operations with Ericsson and also the industry chair of the new Midlands ICT Cluster Steering Committee. And they had a chat about the attraction of getting out of the cities now that remote working is normal. Sinead, we've had a a really, I don't know, transformative few years when it comes to looking at the ways in which we work, whether it's deciding to work from home completely or whether to get a balance with with hybrid working or even, you know, whether you decide to go to the office, maybe you're not going to office, you're going to a hub. So how transformative do you think these last few years have been uh, from the perspective of maybe getting more people away from the cities? and maybe considering the Midlands as somewhere they might like to work instead? Yeah, I mean, I think there has been a huge shift uh, since COVID. Uh, people have really considered, you know, the options and the possibilities that are available to them. I think COVID has really uh, opened up their eyes and people have really started to kind of think more about their work-life balance than they ever did in the past. Um, so everybody is, you know, trying to, I think, do the right thing for them. So, yeah, we've seen a huge culture shift uh, here in Ericsson. We have 1,200 employees. Pre-COVID, we had 1,200 people on site all the time. Uh, Obviously, during COVID then, it went 100% remote. And now we are in a situation where we have a hybrid setup. So people are free to come to the office whenever they want or as, as frequently as they like. And from a Midlands perspective, I think what has been a game changer since COVID has been the the national broadband rollout. So it has made um, our connectivity so much better than it was previously. And what that does is it gives people options and uh, opportunities. So while you may have been in a car five days a week traveling to cities, that's no longer necessary because we have the technological infrastructure here in the Midlands now that supports home working or a hybrid of both. Um, like the infrastructure, like the, the road and and rail infrastructure is is also fantastic. So in the Midlands, you're no more than 90 minutes from from all of the major cities. Um, So a hybrid uh, arrangement is possible. And then for those who potentially want the, the benefit of remote working full time, but not necessarily, you know, the culture that that brings with it, like working on isolation. Some people like, you know, company. There is also like the initiatives that the governments have set up around the Midlands where there's approximately 30 hubs now that people can avail of if they want to, uh, instead of working from home, for example. 
That issue that you raised there of infrastructure is absolutely fascinating because our understanding of what acceptable infrastructure is has changed so much over the last few years that it went from being, you know, get a, a three meg um, uh, modem into your hands. That would be something equivalent to what you'd get from your mobile phone at the time, not even a smartphone, uh, all the way up to gigabit broadband, which is kind of what people are aiming for these days where, you know, you barely even notice the limits of connectivity because you're just not using, you know, enough of your bandwidth to make that happen. How much of um, uh, that sort of demand are you finding into the Midlands? I, I mean, it's understandable that people are looking for, you know, better standards, but are you seeing people coming in and going, okay, look, I'm not going to work here for anything less than a, a hundred megabit connection. Or is there a sort of that uh, acceptance that, look, what's good enough will do and what's good enough is actually coming to the Midlands. I don't need to consider moving back to the cities. I think it's it's changed since the start of COVID. Like certainly, um, you know, if I think back even to my personal circumstances, like in at the start of 2020 when we had to go home, like our broadband connection was quite poor. Two of us were working full time from from home. I live remotely, like as in in the countryside, so about 10 kilometres outside Athlone. So certainly there was uh, no sign of fibre back then. But, you know, it was fighting for the best connection that we could get. And uh, we had no choice but to make do. But I think it, that wasn't an issue or so much of an issue um, as we progress through COVID. The national broadband rollout has been phenomenal uh, in the Midlands area. And as I said, it's been a complete game changer. So there's no issue, no connectivities at all or, or latency issues in the main kind of towns, if I put it like that. But also my own fibre uh, connection happened a couple of months ago. So even like for places as remote as I am, like uh, we're starting to see that connectivity happen, like which uh, is phenomenal. And it just makes all the difference to everybody because now they have a choice. Uh, you know, now they don't need to travel to get that connectivity. They have it on their doorstep and that just opens up the opportunities for them, to, you know, to make different life decisions that, uh, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have the possibility to do otherwise. You raised the, the issue there very briefly of the uh, working hubs, which have, I suppose, become the new, I don't want to say the new co-working spaces, but I suppose the new cluster alternatives, really, where you have people not necessarily even, you know, from the same industry sitting side by side and maybe having the chance to, you know, go out for a cup of coffee and exchange ideas or perspectives. Um, is this sort of vision that you have in mind for a, a kind of a new model of clustering? It's um, definitely a possibility. I mean, the idea of having a cluster in the Midlands is that people have options. So depending on, you know, on where you're working, like if we build up a talent pool in the Midlands region and they're working like within the ecosystem, giving them the option to use these hubs um, as a working option, it's a fantastic opportunity for them. So the idea of, of this cluster is that we give people every opportunity to succeed like in the Midlands uh, region. So be it like with hubs, be it on, in their own homes um, or, you know, using the infrastructure that is available to them to travel uh, on site. It's just basically making sure like that they have all of the options that are available to them and to use them as they see fit. Let's have a look at some of the perennial problems and that affect the ICT sector, uh, regardless of whether it's, you know, a, a local national or an, or an international problem. The, the same thing always seems to come to the fore, which is skills and talent. 
So how do you see uh, your vision of, the, uh, of an ICT cluster help, helping to attract talent or bolster talent from within the area? Absolutely. I mean, I think for a, a cluster like this to be successful, you know, we made we need to make sure like that we have the skills and the talent in the region to support any new business that decides to invest here. Um, so there is a stream, a, a dedicated stream within the, the the ICT, the Midlands ICT cluster dedicated towards uh, skills and talent development. And it is something that um, we in Ericsson um, invest quite heavily in. And it's obviously is something that we are passionate about. So we have a number of programs that uh, are ongoing to support with the, the development of local talent. I can speak a bit more about Ericsson, but I know there are many uh, government initiatives ongoing as well. But here we have um, an Infuse program, which is called Investing in Future Software Engineers. It started back in 2012 and it is something that has evolved a lot uh, over the last 10 years. Initially, it started with um, a master's program that we run in collaboration with the local university here, TUS. It is an Ericsson-specific uh, master's. The content is written by Ericsson employees and it is rolled out, obviously, in TUS. We support with, you know, interviewing potential candidates for the master's program and support and monitor them through the course. They do an internship here and uh, once they, you know, pass exams, etc., they are guaranteed a position here for two years. So that has been like a fantastic uh, pipeline, I guess, uh, for us, for talent in the region. We are finding um, all of our research is telling us basically that, you know, there aren't enough uh, graduates coming from these computer science and uh, software engineering degrees. And it's particularly low when it comes to uh, the female graduates that are coming from these courses. So as part of the program, we, you know, reach out to the secondary schools in the area to promote STEM subjects in general, uh, particularly among the um, all-girls schools, just to encourage them to, or to educate them rather, first on uh, STEM subjects and introduce them to potential careers in the area. So we launched TY programs here um, in Ericsson that uh, the transition year students can come in for a week and experience what it's like to, to work in, in Ericsson for a time. They do um, a coding project and present back to their teachers and parents at the end of it. We also um, have initiatives now where we um, collaborate like with uh, local teachers, both primary and secondary uh, teachers and educate them in IT and programming and give them the concepts that uh, and the information and material that they would need just to um, carry on that learning and that education in the classroom if it's something that, you know, they're maybe not so comfortable with. So uh, panning out then to have a, a broader look at the cluster, one of the things that uh, we hear an awful lot about in relation to startups and small companies is they have fantastic ideas, but little to no idea as to how to market them or to sell them. Uh, is this a problem that you've identified as well? Yeah, so for any new startups, um, there are a number of uh, agencies available within the government that can support them with their initiatives and just to help them get off the ground, uh, be it from a grant perspective or a marketing perspective or whatever it is they need. There, there's a number of programs that are available to them and that is part of the the cluster and part of the, the work that we're doing, particularly from like a marketing campaign, but also from establishing the, an R&D presence in the region. 
And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Sinead Pillion from the New Midlands ICT Cluster Steering Committee. You can find out more about them at midlandsireland.ie. And that link is always in the show notes for you right now. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Just before we go, we have time for just one more thing. Here's Mr. Jobs. Thanks, Dusty. As always, there are more stories online we didn't have time to talk about in the podcast today, including CIO's plan to expand their IT teams despite shrinking budgets, what Red Hat's source code restrictions mean for business, and Dell Technologies are growing the Limerick Customer Solution Center Innovation Lab. You'll find all those and more online at techcentral.ie. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player as well. Until then, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.